Welcome to Payne on Politics, a podcast where host Dr. Gregory Payne of Emerson College sits down with fellow experts to discuss the current state of politics, public opinion, and global affairs. In a world growing increasingly complex, communication and critical thinking is key. This only makes the Emerson motto, expression necessary to evolution, more true. Hello, this is Gregory Payne, the Chair of Communication Studies, Co-Director of the Emerson Blancarda Global Center, and I'm here with a colleague uh, who I have admired for many, many years. He is someone who's led the way on sustainability, and that would be Najib Razim, who is also the Interim Chair in Marketing. So welcome yeah, from you, the 7th floor to the 8th floor. I know, it's a, it's, a, it's a long haul, but I'll make it for you, sir. I'll come. Nezum, question for you is whether it be you and Luann taking a leadership role a couple of years ago when we did the Blancarna Summit uh, with Emerson in Barcelona, or I think a couple of months ago when we did the one here, your middle name has been sustainability. Yeah. Can you tell us what it is as an environmental economics uh, professor that really enraptures you to that term? Yeah, absolutely. So it's me as an economist, and it's also me just as me. So I grew up in South Asia. My dad worked for the UN. And so a lot of my early life was around reasonably low-income societies, right? I mean, I was born in the States, so I've always come back here. But then moving back to the States and sort of habituating to the degree of consumption that we have here in the U.S. and that's increased, that we take for granted, uh, and looking at the impacts that that has both environmentally and socially, right, and on other countries and politically, Mm -hmm. thinking about for a long time, how can we, without being punishing about it, how can we modulate that in some way or have that go in a way that creates less harm, right? So as an environmental economist, we have a lot of methods, we have a lot of sort of theoretical constructs that help us think about these things. And teaching at Emerson, as you pointed out, as chair of the marketing department, so a lot of marketing is used to stimulate consumption, right? So, But marketing is really just kind of like so many things that happen in your department. There are ways to influence behaviors and influence thought about things, right? And so I just see Emerson as this really great spot with so many different incredible people who have such skills in communication and the arts to work on changing how we talk about our impact on the planet and our impact on society without it being a doom and gloom scenario, without it being a sort of, you know, stringent sort of hippie monastic lifestyle, right? That doesn't fly with a lot of people. So that's really kind of what drives me is the idea of using all of this capacity we have here to change the narrative around how we think about this stuff and maybe achieve better and kinder outcomes. So, Nezum, when you mentioned that, one of our alums, David Kalustian, is head of Cheryl Maryland Associates, a financial investor firm. And he came and spoke, I think it was maybe in the fall, and he was talking about how most companies are now embracing much of what you have said. So, the old profit margin, people are saying, well, part of our brand, we want this. Now, we have some people that say, that's not what you should be doing. I want the profits. So, how do you think, how would you describe the change that we now see on Wall Street, and where do you think we should be going from here? I think it's very interesting. So you've got things like environmental social governance objectives, right, which are widespread. You've got things like the triple bottom line of profit, people, and planet, right? That's been going on for a while. Starting a couple of years back, the World Bank started putting requirements on loans. For instance, if you're going to take out however many billions of dollars, 
to start a mining operation in Kalimantan in Indonesia, mm -hmm. you needed to demonstrate that you were going to restore a certain amount of habitat, right? So from the academics to the policy world, there's long been this understanding that we rely on this planet to function for profit. Like we can't make money if we destroy the planet, right? We just can't. And the other thing is that we've also known for a while that business as usual practices of sort of causing environmental damage and moving on to a new place or not recognizing the economic impact of environmental damage actually results in greater risk in the future, right? So the US Department of Defense, for instance, has long been leading the charge on recognizing climate change as a threat multiplier. It's going to, it's already imperiling all of our naval bases around the world, mm -hmm. right? It, it changes how we fight wars, right? So in some ways, despite our rhetoric around this, the private sector has been kind of slow to catch on to it. But now they're realizing, one, not only do consumers want stuff that's more sustainably produced, or at least that says it's more sustainably produced, but also the risks of doing business in the way that we always used to are simply too great, right? You're one, you're going to alienate a number of your of your customers, that's possible. You may run afoul of international regulations, mm -hmm. but two, you may just make life impossible for your production systems, right? For your supply chains. And so I think they're beginning to realize that it's actually more viable to incorporate this, this way of thinking into it. You're right that there is a lot of pushback, particularly in the United States, against what people might refer to as woke economics or sort of woke business practices. But man, if the private sector is responding to it this way, Coca-Cola, lots of places. It's not just Patagonia, right? It's Nike. It's all these really big companies. Netflix, HBO, NBC. Why would we as a government constrain that? It's, it seems peculiarly wrongheaded to me. Um, so I get it in that it seems like the business of America's business, all these things, like which the profit margin is the most important thing, but there will be no profit margin <laughs> if we don't change how we're doing yes, things. Yes, yes. Najum, uh, deviate just a bit. I know one thing that's always excited me about your passion for teaching is you're very immersive with your students. You're yeah. Very, very uh, well-respected professor. And you also, I think, are very adventuresome. I mean, you, you're a global citizen in every yeah, sense yeah. of the word. Uh, you just had a very, very interesting summer uh, in Ecuador. That's Could true. you tell us a little bit about that, yeah, which is very important, I think, as part yeah. of Emerson, a small school, but we go global. Yeah, yeah, we do. So I've been building a relationship with a university in Ecuador, in the capital, Quito. Mm -hmm. It's called the Universidad San Francisco de Quito. And they're the chair of their marketing department, she was the chair at the time, had done her master's at Emerson. So we just, happened, we just happened to meet. That right. was pure, pure circumstance, right? Pure luck. And I had been going to, to Ecuador for some tourism just to have family down there. And uh, again, back to what I was talking about before, about how can we use all this stuff that we do here at Emerson to advance these global causes? I started working with a tourism operation down there and asking them if they had any marketing or business questions that students could help address. They do. So I put together a global pathways class, took a small group of students down to Ecuador, and we started in Quito in the capital, which is around 9,000 feet elevation, beautiful, historic, Andean, Spanish colonial city, and then went out into the cloud forest, what they call the Choco Andino, the western slopes of the Andes, and out to the Galapagos Islands, which are an astounding place mm -hmm. for anyone who hasn't even heard of Ecuador. And so we worked with a client down there, which was a small ecotourism operation. Very locally operated, super, super sustainable, very community-based, 
very progressive in a very particular kind of way, in a very positive way. And yeah, we helped them work out some strategies about marketing opportunities for certain programs that they have. And I'm hoping it'll be a, a durable relationship. It's a complicated place politically, but it was a really, I've been in touch with the students who took that class and at least the self-report is they had a really transformative experience with it. It's a, I mean, I've traveled, as you pointed out, as you have as well, I've traveled in lots of places. I grew up in South Asia in the 1970s. So Ecuador to me is like, it's a lovely place, but it's not particularly peculiar. I mean, it's a, they use the dollar. Do you know what I mean? They use the same plugs we do. But if you've never left the US right. or you've never traveled in Latin America, Ecuador is a big change. Yes. It's a big change. So for the students, you know, they get that experience of going to a really different place, culturally different, environmentally different. The histories, there's some similarity, obviously, but it's really quite a different place. And so it really opened their eyes to a lot of different perspectives, which is, I know, why you like to take students to different parts of the world. Right. I think we both believe very much, whether it's Rosarito. I think one of our uh, camera people, uh, Andrew Geiger, has been to Rosarito several times. Uh, I think we are big with regard to understanding cultural competency. Yeah. My question to you is, what do you think makes the Emerson experience, the immersion that you give in your classes and so many of your colleagues, what do you think makes it unique to other schools and universities? That's a really good question. So typically with these kinds of, at least the kind of work that I do, with these kinds of classes, if you're going to take students to Ecuador and go into the cloud forest, go out to the Galapagos, you're going to be looking at what's like ecology and evolution, eco-evo, as people call it in that field, right? It's very unusual that you would take students with a marketing background or a film background, which is what I did, to work on an issue that is just obviously environmental, but not from an environmental angle, right. right? And so that is, I think, an unexplored niche that we can really move into with Emerson, right? So, okay, we have some science faculty here, so we can study that stuff, but we don't have a biology department. We don't have a tropical ecology program. But we have people who are pretty adventurous, who are willing to sort of, you know, go and work in field conditions, at least a few, and apply this stuff. A couple of marketing majors, like the marketing part of it, they can totally tackle. The novelty of the culture, the novelty of the political context, the novelty of the specific business issue, that's out of their ken, right? And I think for a lot of students who come here, this is another part of the uniqueness, a lot of students who come here think in terms of often larger firms to work for. And so there's, I think, a little bit of a narrow focus on a small slot of the economy where it's like, I want to crank that open a bit and point out and say, hey, you can be doing this work in all these different places or for different agencies of the federal or state government. And we just don't, I know you do in your department, but broadly as a college, we don't mm -hmm. focus on that as much. Right. And I think we have so much to offer there. Right. I mean, the one thing, uh, having read your works and being, been an admirer of your research, one thing I also really enjoy is how you look at the particular aspects in America, uh, the United yeah. States of America, uh, and especially in New Mexico with water right. and yeah, some yeah. of the, right. I guess, lessons that we could learn from our ancestors. Can you talk a little bit about yeah. your research there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've done a bunch of work with traditional irrigation systems in northern New Mexico, and I did that for my dissertation work and then after that, because I did my PhD at the University of New Mexico. And so these systems, they've been in North America America for four or five hundred years. Um, they're derived from Middle Eastern and Iberian 
irrigation systems so much so that they're actually, they're still called acequias in New Mexico, which is an Arabic word. It's just an Arabic word that's moved through Spanish and shows up directly in New Mexico. And they're gravity-fed traditional irrigation systems. There's The technology is thousands of years old, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And they still work. And they're community-operated. They run on a whole different set of understandings of property than we have in most of the US, right? New Mexico is a water-scarce state, but it's a beautiful place to live. The Sun Belt is growing. It has been for some time. There's just a piece in the New York Times over the weekend about a community outside of Scottsdale that no longer has access to city water. Mm -hmm. So water is precious, water is valuable, and so people have been trying to buy water rights from these communities for decades so that they can have adequate water for golf courses or developments or homes or whatever, right? Okay, legitimate water market thing, but... The use of water in these traditional systems, because it doesn't generate a lot of economic value, like obvious financial value, tends to get kind of written off mm -hmm. in the way that a lot of indigenous activities do. These aren't indigenous people that I work with, but it's an old system, and indigenous communities face the same thing. So, to me, it's very important when you're trying to move towards some kind of future to understand where you came from. And the thing is, we have systems and cultures and communities throughout the world that are still doing that. But yet we ignore them because we think, well, they don't have this technology or they're not making money doing it, so let's improve it. They've been doing it there for 400, 500 years, or in some cases, thousands of years. It's kind of hard to improve on it. It works, right? And it works with no carbon footprint. It works in the climate that it comes from, right? And so I just think it's a hard, it's a, it's a hard sell sometimes because we're always looking to move on, move on, move on because mm -hmm. we get impatient about stuff and other reasons. But that's sort of the summary of, of that. It's, it started out as a legal thing, trying to find a way through public what's it called, public welfare doctrine, to basically establish a monetary value for these activities so that they can be balanced against more modern developments, right? But it turned into something sort of more deeply ethical, uh, I think, for me anyway. And so that's a big part of it. And I get to travel in these gorgeous places. I mean, you talk about gastro diplomacy. The food in northern New Mexico is magnificent. It's superb, like incredible landscapes, amazing cultures, fantastic food. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty cool thing. So, Nejma, I know that you, you've got several other things that you're doing this afternoon. One thing I would like to ask uh, before we close, and mm -hmm. hopefully you'll be coming back, is uh, as the, uh, the chair of marketing, what are you hoping to accomplish in the spring semester? We've got groups of students a great like those yeah. here today yeah. uh, who are eager to be back in the classroom. Of yeah. course, uh, they're all excited to take your class. What, what do you think Emerson should accomplish? As well as yeah. we have a new president. Yeah. If you have a message to him, what would it be? Uh, so that's a good question. Why don't we go backwards from there? The message to the new president would be that, I mean, among all the other messages that you're going to hear, I'm looking at you, um, is that Emerson has this tremendous role to play in the sustainability field. And I just think that would be a really important, valuable, and durable thing for us to do. It's a space that's not well occupied right now, and we can just really take it over and kind of run the show. So I think that would be fantastic. And that's not going away, right? It's not 
it's not going away. Uh, Hopefully not. It needs to be sustainable. Exactly. So one hopes that sustainability is sustainable. Um, in terms of in terms of my own thing, I mean, you're chair too, and you've been chair longer than I have. There's keeping the trains going and all of that. A big initiative we have in marketing with respect to student experiences is really trying to build and strengthen and deepen the community that we have. Right. So this came out of a bunch of things, but at least two of my students in Ecuador who ended up as marketing communication fellows. And now that program is running. So they help to run mixers and we're doing a bunch of sort of professional skills trainings. And I need to learn from you in terms of how to have a successful wine and cheese event. So that's maybe we can do a collaboration. Exactly. Yeah, There's certain things that, you know, we just wine that, on seven, cheese on eight. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We sort of go back and forth. So it just it's partly about that. It's partly about streamlining some of the things we do and just making sure that we're not wasting time and sort of inherited inefficiencies. Um, but my biggest my biggest concern is really about making the department a better place to work, a kinder place to work, and having just more community around everything that we do. Right. Well, what I would like to say is, at Emerson, I think the entire college is enhanced by your levity of uh, understanding, especially when, with the depth of saying, look, some of the technology that we need to do today is as old as yeah. what you discovered in New yeah. Mexico. Yeah. And I would like to thank you as a colleague for really inspiring students, but more importantly, Thanks, being a good citizen, reminding us that if we want to sustain, we have to embrace sustainability. We do. Thank you. Thank you, Nezhum. It's a great pleasure to be here, and thank you, all of you. All right, back from Pain on Politics with Nezhum, who is, I think his middle name is Sustainability, keeping us on track. Thanks, Thanks again. Thanks, sir. Take care.